sing this together. The whole earth is filled. The whole earth is filled. It's filled with your glory. It's filled with your glory. My whole life is filled. My whole life is filled. The whole earth, the whole earth is filled. The whole earth is filled. It's filled with your glory. It's filled with your glory. My whole life is filled. My whole life is filled. It's filled with your glory. Your glory, your love is alive. Your love is alive. Your love is beating inside of my heart and my soul and my mind. Your love is alive. Your love is alive. Your love is. My whole life is filled. It's filled with your glory. Oh, it's filled with your glory. Your love is alive. Your love is alive. Your love is beating inside of my heart and my soul and my mind. Your love is alive. out at sea even in death you're always with me and when I am fearful I won't be afraid oh spirit remind me your presence remains Oh, the whole earth is filled. It's filled with your glory. It's filled with your glory. My whole life is filled. My whole life is filled.
Amen. Thank you so much, brother. So glad that you are here joining us this morning. Uh, my name is Jason Ford, and I am the missions pastor here at The Point, and want to welcome you here this day. Thankful that we can gather in this way for a time of worship and a time of teaching. Thankful for it. But at the same time, I hope you're like me, and you feel that this just is not how things are supposed to be. And it isn't. We are supposed to be gathered together as God's people. And I hope that you have a longing in your heart for that day when we can gather together in this place again and lift our voices loud to sing praises to King Jesus and have that fellowship here in this place. So while we're thankful and that we can gather in this way for worship and uh, teaching, we're also longing for that day when we can assemble, when we can gather as the church is intended and worship together. And we look forward to that day and we pray for that day to come soon. But hey, I want to welcome you. I want to mention a couple of things to you this morning. Uh, for the month of April, we are focusing on our North American missions offering, our NAMO offering. And that is an offering that goes to support uh, church planters locally in our region, in our nation, all across North America. It goes to support uh, North American Mission Board missionaries who are serving all across North America. And so I would encourage you, as you can, as you feel led to give towards that NAMO offering uh, throughout this month. And uh, that'll be open for the rest of this month. You can give online. You could also designate on a check towards that offering uh, as a part as, as we expand God's kingdom here where God has placed us in the region where we are. Also want to let you know that we want to pray for you as, uh, as there are needs in your life, as there are joys, as there are praises. Please connect with us so that we can pray for you. Uh, we have an email that's set up, prayer at longviewpoint.org. And you can email those, and those will go to the church staff and pastors, and we will count it a privilege to continue to connect with you and lift those things up to the Lord. Also, there's a lot of things going on online uh, with kids and for youth and on Wednesday night teaching. And so I would encourage you to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter and on YouTube and check in with our church website and make sure you're getting updates on different ways that you can connect online. I know my kids have really enjoyed uh, doing some things with Pastor Kevin and uh, so thankful for those opportunities to connect in those ways. Also, you should, in your inbox this morning, have a financial report of where we are in terms of our finances here at Longview Point. And if you don't have that, um, I'd ask you to contact our church office because we don't have your contact information. So if you are a member and have not received that, please contact us and let us know. And in the same vein, if you are a member of Longview Point, and you have not gotten a call or a card or a text from one of our pastors or staff here at The Point, we don't have your contact information, and we need that from you. So please, if you've not heard from us, get us your contact information so we can stay connected with you during this time. So important uh, that we reach out to one another and lift each other up during these strange days that we are in. Days that none of us would have ever planned for or seen, but God in His sovereignty has allowed us and placed us in these days and in these times in which we are. 
And the calling on our hearts and on our lives is unchanged. We are to worship Him, to make much of His name, follow Him, love the Lord, and love our neighbors. And we want to continue to do that well. And I would encourage you to think about ways that you can love the Lord as with your family, uh, with friends, with neighbors, in creative ways, and ways that you can love and express God's love to those around you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will continue with worship and teaching. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that we can come to you. Gracious Heavenly Father, full of love and mercy, you reign, you rule, you are enthroned in heaven. Lord, there is nothing, nothing that goes on that you are unaware of. We trust you, sovereign Lord. And Lord, I pray that in these days, these strange days, Father, to us, Lord, that we would be drawn close to you. Families would be strengthened. Discipleship would be taking place in homes. Lord, that we would be people who are sheltering in the peace of Jesus. Lord, I pray that there would be opportunities in some unique and special ways to make much of you and that you would be preparing hearts, Father, calling people to yourself. Lord, use this time of worship, this time of teaching to strengthen, encourage, and equip your people. Change us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Cause this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how it may look. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Cause this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
Oh, this is how I fight my battles It may look like Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you It may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you Oh, it may look like I'm surrounded But I'm surrounded by you this is how I fight my battles Oh, this is how I fight my battles Oh, this is how I fight my battles Oh, this is how I fight my battles In your name me like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Cause this is how I fight my battles. Oh, this is how I fight my battles. Oh, Lord. We just invite your presence this morning. Lord, we invite your presence into this room. And Father, you say where two or three are gathered, you are there in the midst. So I pray, Father, wherever people are watching this service that your presence is there Father that we just feel a touch from you and Lord we're reminded by that song you're the one that fights our battles Lord we fight our battles by letting you do the work Father when we think we're surrounded Lord we're really surrounded by you and Lord over and over again you show us in your word that if we'll just wait on the Lord, Father, we'll renew our strength. Lord, if we'll put our trust in you, we'll see miraculous things. And Lord, right now, we're putting our faith in you, Father. We, we love you. We need you. Help us, Lord, to trust you right now. I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. And I see it now, I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You saw my condition, had a plan from the start. 
your son for redemption the price for my heart and I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend all I know is I need you I run to the Father fall into grace I'm done with the hiding the reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend so I run to the Father again and again and again and again whoa whoa again and again Long before my first breath Running into your arms Is running to life from death And I feel this rush deep in my chest I need you to call me out Just as I am Lord, you pull me in And I know I need without hope with no place to begin your love made a way to let mercy come in that's when death was arrested and my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remained My orphan heart was given a name 
My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance When death was arrested and my life began Hold oh, your grace so free Washes over me You have made me new Now life begins with you Released from my chains I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. Yeah, when death was arrested and my life began, oh, your grace so free washes over me. You have made me new now. Savior displayed on a criminal's cross Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had lost But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand That's when death was arrested and my life began Washes over me. You have made me new. Now life begins with you. It's your endless love pouring down on us. You have made us new. Now life begins with you. Sing this out, church. Now we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yeah, we're free, free, forever, amen. We left one the rest in my life begin. Yeah, we're free, free, forever we're free. Come join the song of all the redeemed. Yeah, we're free. Forever, amen. When death was arrested, and my life began. When death was arrested, and my life began. That's when death was arrested, and my life began. Thank you, Lord. That over 2,000 years ago, you died on that tree. That your blood was shed. 
to forgive my sins. John Ginn. And that, Lord, you gloriously rose three days later. The victor over death and hell. We love you. We bless you. Thank you, Lord, for that freedom. Thank you for setting us free. We bless you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 and following. We're going to look this morning at 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, and the first half of verse number 10. I have been anxious uh, to share this message with you this morning, and I am most certainly anxious to be back together with you under more normal circumstances. By now, you are aware of plans to begin to reopen the country in a variety of ways. Those plans excite me. I, I hope that is an indication that we are that much closer to being able to be back together in this room together. I do want to let you know uh, this morning that on next Sunday morning, we will resume our drive-in service. You'll still have the online option, um, as you do this morning, for the foreseeable future, as we're not able to meet together uh, here in the worship center. But uh, we hope to bring back, until we're able to meet again, the drive-in service. And uh, for those of you who are here before, you've seen how that works. I would ask that as you come and are a part of that service, you do us a favor of staying in cars as uh, just stay in your cars and uh, we'll, we'll be in good shape and hopefully stay out of any trouble. But be aware of that. Uh, for right now, the buildings won't be open. You won't have access to bathrooms or anything like that, but you'll be able to stay in your vehicle tuned to 90.1 and uh, we'll be able to be as much together as we possibly can be for right now. For this morning, let's turn our attention to the text at hand. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 28. The Bible says, So now, little children, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. So you know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin, because his seed remains in him. He is not able to sin. Because he has been born of God. 
This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Here in, the, in the, this passage, we really have sort of two sections here, verse 28 of chapter 2 through verse 3 of chapter 3, and then verses 4 through 10. In this initial, initial section here, John describes for us who we are and who we will be. And then he deals with, in the latter part of our text, how it is that we've come to this place of being, how we have achieved our standing in Christ. Go back to verse 28. John says, so now, little children, remain or abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have boldness and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know this as well. Everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, it begins to hint at what's going to come in, in the text later in verse number 29. But in verse 28, he really describes for us who it is that we will be at the coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes, we will be bold and confident before the judgment. We will be there like Christ, he describes later in chapter 3. We will see him as he is in this new and yet unrevealed condition we'll find ourselves in on that day. John says in verse 1 of chapter 3, look at how great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. He, he says later we will see him in verse 2. We will see him as he is. We will be like he is in that day. In that day, we will be like Jesus, free from sin, sanctified from sin, bold before the judgment seat of Christ. And this flows forth from the reality of who we are in the present. The guarantee that we will be in that unrevealed condition like him, before him, with the capacity to see him sanctified and fully free from sin is, the, is born out of who we are in the here and now. If you go to verse 2 of chapter 3, John says, Dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. It's not that we are waiting to be God's children at some distant time in the future. We are now. In fact, in the construction of this sentence in verse number 2, whereas our English translations read, Dear friends, we are God's children now. A more rigid translation would say, Dear friends, now we are God's children now. Move to the front of the sentence for emphasis. We are not waiting to be a child of God in the sweet by and by. We are in the present, by faith in Jesus, the children of God. Who we are today are children of God, strangers in this world, striving for what is right, confident in light of his coming. And who we will be is absolutely, finally, and forever free from our sin, sanctified in absolute perfection from sin's corruption, and standing confidently with great boldness before the judgment bar of God. John says, see the great love the Father has shown us that we should be called the children of God. In early 20th century liberal theology, it began to be popular to refer to all people as the children of God. And surely all, all people are the children of God in the sense that God is the creator and Lord of all mankind. But in a unique sense, by faith in Jesus, we have been granted the remarkable privilege of being called the children of God. 
John chapter 1, John says that for all who have believed on his name, he has given us the right to be called the children of God. It's faith in Jesus that assigns this title to us as strangers and pilgrims in this crooked and corrupted and and broken, sin-struck world. We are the children of God. What awaits us, John says, has not yet been revealed, but we can imagine for a moment, can't we, what it will be like when we stand before Jesus I think at different stages of life, we perhaps long for different things that heaven holds forth for us. Often, when I visit with those who have lost loved ones, they speak of their anxiousness to be in heaven in the presence, not only of Jesus, but of their loved ones who have trusted Christ for salvation to be reunited with them again. Um, for, for children, there, there seems to be more of a fascination with the descriptions the Bible gives us of heaven, pearly gates and streets of gold, whether those be literal or figurative. But I, I think second only to seeing my Savior Jesus, the thing that I most long for when it comes to heaven is absolute freedom from sin. Every one of us woke up this morning, regardless of how much we love Jesus or how much we're out there wandering in the world, and and there was an inevitable reality about our day. At some point along the way, we would step off the narrow path. We would sin against God. It's inevitable. It's who we are. It's in our DNA in this sin-struck world in which we live. But when our eyes close in death, and we wake up by faith on the other side, we will finally and forever be free from the bondage of sin. Surely there is liberty in the here and now. We have freedom and the capacity by the work of the Spirit in us to do what is right before God. That's at the heart of John's message in our text. But on that day, on that day, on that day, there will be absolute freedom from sin and its bondage. Brothers and sisters, who we are are the children of God. And who we will be on that day is like Jesus. On that day, we will be like our Savior, sanctified, free, and bold before the Father. Look down to verse number 4. Now, John has alluded to this issue, this challenge of of the presence of unrighteousness, the prevailing presence of unrighteousness, and the call upon the believer to purify himself from sin. In fact, before we go to verse 4, look back to verse 3. John says, Everyone who has this hope, the hope of what awaits us in Christ, everyone who has this hope in Christ purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. The call upon the believer's life is to strive for what is right, to do what is righteous, to do what is good, to do what is commanded of God. And he really seems to be getting at, again, the heart of his message here. We're literally in the heart of the epistle of 1 John, but we're striking at here in our text the heart of John's message itself. It seems clear to me throughout John, 1 John, chapters 1 through 5, that there, there is an, an enemy party 
Commentators refer to them as the cessationists. They are those who were among us, but they went out from us. And now that they've gathered themselves outside the body of Christ, they are influencing those within the church. They are exerting an ungodly influence. And John is warning against their influence. And John is cautioning the church against their doctrine. At the heart of their argument seems to be an effort to break the relationship between doing what is right and being righteous. Now, uh, this is incredibly relevant to where we are in today's day and age. This is the prevailing thought in our day. How many times have you heard someone make the comment, he or she is not a bad person, they just do bad things? Well, I don't know what a bad person is if it's not a person who does bad things. It's just philosophical gymnastics to free ourselves from the guilt and the responsibility of our sin. John makes it abundantly clear that everyone who has hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. And in an effort to make clear the high calling of holiness that God has placed on our life, he begins to deal both with sin and what Christ has achieved for us in his coming. So John makes it abundantly clear here that the Christian has been called to pursue righteousness in his life. Look to verse 4. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. Now this is as clear a definition of sin as we have in the Scripture. Some time ago, I was studying through 1 John with the boys, and we came to this passage. In fact, we actually came to an earlier passage where John was speaking to sin and then moved forward to this passage to deal with this issue. And it was interesting to me to talk with my children about sin, the concept of sin, and defining sin, and what a strange and foreign concept that can be for people. I think we have in our mind an idea of what sin is, but I think for most Westerners, sin is to do those things that we have self-determined are bad things. Here John makes it clear that we're well off the mark. Sin is the breaking of the law. Not our own self-conceived law, but the breaking of God's law. We have a, a, a similar effort at defining sin in Romans 14, 23, where Paul says, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. It's a, a further elaboration on the simplicity of John's statement here. Sin is disobedience to God's law. What Jesus seems to be warning against and what Paul touches on in Romans 14 is that there is the, the possibility that we can at least in an external outward way obey or observe the law without doing what we do out of a heart of faith and confidence and trust in Jesus. Paul says not only do we need to keep the law, to, to bear the law, to be obedient to the law of God, the word of God. But whatever we do in that setting, under that pretense, that does not proceed from faith is itself sin. And Paul suggests that what we do is done out of true faith, true faith that bows itself to Jesus, true faith that acknowledges that Christ has spoken, true faith that believes and heeds his word. To do right is to live in faith-filled obedience to God's word. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of the law. So to do anything that is in violation of God's word is a sin. 
to do anything even in observance of God's law that's not done out of a heart of faith, of, of worship, of praise, of gladness, of confidence in the word of God, in the truth of God's word is sin. Now look to verse 5. You know that he was, that is Jesus, you know that Jesus was revealed so that he might take away sins. And there is no sin in him. Jesus came for the express purpose of taking away our sins. Not only does Jesus come to take away the penalty for our sins, but Jesus comes, even in a more literal sense, to take away our sins in the here and now, to begin the work of sanctifying us, of making us over into the likeness and image of God's only Son. Now, obviously, we never come to a place of perfection in this process of sanctification in the here and now. There will come a day, the day we spoke of just moments ago, when we do come to that place of perfection, when we see Jesus as he is, when we are as Jesus is, absolutely and finally free from the presence of sin in our life. But in a very real sense, Jesus came to save us from the guilt and the penalty of our sin and to sanctify us from the presence and the effects of sin, even in the here and now. Now, in line with John's opposition, there seems to always be a party at work within or around the church suggesting that somehow our salvation is about a, a transaction in the beginning. And that transaction has little bearing on the way we live the rest of our life, except that it guarantees for us at the end of our life we get to go to heaven and all is well for us. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know that the faith that saves is the faith that sanctifies. You simply cannot be touched by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be unaffected by that reality even in your earthly life. Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him. Verse 6 says, everyone who remains in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. Now, a lot of people get tripped up here, but I just want you to note, in the Greek text of verses 6 and following, John continuously uses uh, present verbs, present tense verbs. Now, in the Greek language, that's not so much about time as it is about action. A present tense verb communicates continuous action. So if I could give you Brother Wade's translation of verse number 6, it would go this way. Everyone who continues in sin... Everyone who continues on in their sin has not seen him or known him. What John is saying is really very simple, and I think most who give this verse a fair reading understand what John's co conveying. You simply cannot persist in your sin. You cannot live in habitual sin. You cannot shape your life after the pattern of this world and legitimately claim to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It simply does not work that way. You cannot break the nexus that exists between doing what is right and being a righteous person, between salvation in Christ and the earthly impact of that salvation on our everyday life. When Jesus Christ gets a hold of one's heart, 
We cannot help but be deeply changed by what we have experienced. Now, what John is saying here is that not only does his opposition have a bad theology, they have misunderstood and misrepresented the person and the nature of Jesus, but they have bad ethics too. It's interesting to me how these always work together. The cessationists, as we might describe them, were unbiblical in their theology, and they were immoral in their behavior or their actions. Now, it's kind of a chicken and egg thing. There are times when a person's theology goes bad and, and their morals follow after. But more often than not, it's that a person's morality goes bad and then they conform or shape their theology to serve the interest of their immoral practices. So for, for years, um, we've, we've dealt with and talked about as churches this phenomenon of college students who defect after high school graduation and we've tried our best to lay a lot of the blame for that at the foot of liberal prof professors who beset the faith of unsuspecting students when they come in and certainly that is a factor but when I talk with college students who are wrestling with unbelief who are struggling my first thought is not to address their intellectual curiosity, but the strong likelihood that they're involved in drinking or drugs or premarital sex on their college campus, and they're now shaping their understanding of the Bible to satisfy the lust of the flesh. There are times, again, when the theology goes bad first and the behavior comes sometimes after the ethics follow after but in a large percentage of cases, we believe or adapt our beliefs to serve what we ultimately and finally want to do in our own personal life. And I would just warn you, if you're a person who struggles with unbelief, to examine yourselves, to see if, if your challenges, if your struggles are truly intellectual or about your faith, or if they're really about your actions, the things that you are involved in. John makes it crystal clear here that being a righteous person results in righteous behavior from one day to the next. Again, as simply as I know to state it, you simply cannot be touched by Jesus without being profoundly impacted by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone who remains in Jesus does not persist in their sin. Everyone who continues in their sin has not seen him or known him. Verse 7 says, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. I, 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 wish, I wish our country could grasp this concept that every, everyone who does what is right is righteous, just as Jesus is righteous. Th that our life really is the sum total of all of those decisions that we make from one moment to the next, that we're responsible for the decisions that we make and the consequences of those decisions. We can't separate ourselves from those things. And we've been as guilty as trying to drive this separation in the church as the world around us has. Verse 8, the Bible says, The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For the, the Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. 
Again, John states it plainly for us that Jesus came to take away our sin and to destroy the works of the devil. And he's not failed to do that in the heart of those who have fixed their faith and trust in him. He has been successful in this effort. We are the recipients of that blessing. The victory that Jesus has achieved for us at the cross and an empty garden grave, Christ has come to destroy the works of Satan. Verse 9 says, everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Again, the Brother Wade translation, everyone who has been born of God does not continue in their sin because his seed remains in him. He's not able to sin because he's been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. Now, this, this really flies in the face of what I'll call American Christianity. That you, you simply cannot be a Christian and persist in your sin. Over the past decade or so, we've seen all kinds of adjectives be attached to the label of, of Christianity. All kinds of understandings and newfangled expressions of so-called Christianity. We simply have no right to redefine the terms of what it means to follow faithfully after Jesus. The gospel is clear. And the implications of the gospel on our life are equally clear. That anyone who claims the name of Jesus is to walk in uprightness, adhering to the law, doing what we do as an expression of faith, walking in the light even as he is in the light. And John says that for those who have truly been born of him, it is an impossibility that we persist in our sin. Just for the sake of clarity, what John is not saying is that if you ever sin, that it's an indication that you've fallen out of favor with God or you never knew him in the beginning. What John is talking about here is perpetual sin, a pattern, a lifestyle of sin. You simply cannot legitimately choose to live your life on your own terms and expect that Jesus would conform his mind, will, or word to what suits your own self-interest. Here we walk in the light as he is in the light. Here we follow after the pattern that Jesus has established for us. Here we conform to the teaching of God's word. We are obedient to the laws of God. John says in verse 10, this is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. This is the line of distinction. This is how you know who is righteous and who is unrighteous. This is how you know who are born again and who are not. There's no middle ground here. There's no sheep-goat fence-walking hybrid in the kingdom of God. Those who have been born of Jesus walk in the light as he is in the light. But those who walk in the darkness are of the devil. This would be assessed as very judgy in our world. But it's a, it's a harsh reality that must be reckoned with. I will confess that over the past several years, I've become rather ambivalent about the presence of, um, let's say, teachers or, or preachers who don't deal with, with sin issues or speak about the gospel in, in, a, in a way. They don't share the same methods as I do in my ministry, I'll put it that way. But this quarantine thing, we've all got more time on our hands than is really healthy to have, and so you just watch things that you wouldn't otherwise watch, and you see things and make observations that you wouldn't otherwise making. I don't, I don't think that I have been aware of or sensitive to 
the extent to which the American church is failing to deal with the issue of sin, failing to hold high the gospel of Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. But as I look around, it's pretty scary. And I don't say this as an indictment on a lot of preachers. I'm not preaching to preachers, and you're probably not terribly concerned about circumstances surrounding preachers and preaching and all that comes with it. But I'm keenly aware of the fact that these preachers prosper and they gain popularity and even notoriety because there are multitudes of people who want to hear that message. They want to hear peace, peace when there is no peace. And brothers and sisters, I just want you to know, I want it to be abundantly clear, may God's word speak here, that everyone who remains in him does not sin and everyone who sins has not seen him or known him. You must deal with the issues of sin in your life. You will deal with them now or you will deal with them at the judgment seat of Christ, but you will inevitably deal with them. It's not as fashionable in our day and age to deal with sin issues and to talk about obedience. Any heavy emphasis on that quickly is labeled as legalism or something along those lines. We can call it whatever we'd like to call it, but at the end of the day, we cannot change the standard that God has placed upon us as followers of Jesus Christ. You cannot separate the high call to righteousness from what uh, Jesus has called us to do. You can't just conform your life in any way, shape, form, or fashion expecting that to somehow be okay in the end. Here it's clear. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident by the presence or the absence of sin in our life. But the good news is this. Jesus has come to take away our sin. Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. There is a resting place, a place of safety in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you'll run to him and ask that God would forgive you by his blood, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. There won't be a single soul in all of human history who calls out to Jesus for grace in sincerity that won't receive free and full forgiveness of their sin by his shed blood. I hope that you'll lean hard into Jesus. I suspect if you're like me, that this time at home is revealing secret sins that perhaps for a long time needed to be addressed, uh, challenges that you've been able to put out of your mind by way of busyness and routine and uh, just the hectic nature of your schedule. What if the people of God took this opportunity while we were a little more settled than usual to get before God and plead and pray that conviction would come that he would purge our hearts of unrighteousness. I think the real challenge when it comes to passages like this, when God speaks to his people about sin, is that, frankly, we don't want to change sometimes. There are going to be some of you who need to get before God and pray, God, help me to deal with this sin. But there may be more of you that need to get before God and pray, God, give me a heart that wants to deal with this sin. Lord, move me to regard this sin, to see my unfaithfulness through your eyes. I hope that you'll be honest with yourself and honest before the Lord with regards to where you stand. Examine yourselves to see that you're in the faith. 
May the Lord be greatly honored in our commitment to faithfulness to him. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for its truth, for the chance to be together this morning this way. Speak to us, Lord. Move through the work and power of your spirit that our sin would be revealed. God, I I don't know how this text or this message resonates with your people out there scattered across our community, but I do know confidently that it's one of great importance. John is striking at the heart of pseudo-Christianity in America. One, one that would allow us the benefits of salvation without the burdens and the bothers of personal righteousness. Help us, Lord, to see that those two simply cannot be divorced. Grant it so, God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to encourage you that if there's some way that we could counsel with you, be of help to you, or even instruction at what the next steps look like for you and your journey with Jesus Christ, please reach out to us. I I promise you that we are, like many of you, scrounging and scratching for things to do. The first few weeks were very hectic, but I would love nothing more than to have a long list of phone call conversations or uh, Zoom counseling sessions where we were talking through the gospel in your lives or what needed to be done biblically about this scenario or the next. The numbers of our pastors are before you on the screen. The comment sections, we try to monitor as best we can. You can email us. All of our email addresses are available to you through our website. Communicate with us about how the Lord is at work in your life. And again, it will be our delight to hear from you and how the Lord is at work. I want to encourage you again, remind you um, that if you've not been contacted, if your family's not been contacted, it's not for lack of effort on the part of your pastoral staff. If, if you've not had some touch by call or card or text, it's because our um, information, contact information for you on our end is bad, and, and we'd love the ability to be in that kind of contact with you. One of the things that I've come to realize over the past few weeks is we're making contacts and calling and texting and sending out cards is the number of people who are functioning as a part of our fellowship but are not members of the fellowship of our church. And then the people who are functioning as members of our fellowship but who are not involved in a connect ministry. We can better serve you and you can better serve one another when we bring ourselves under the authority of the local body that we've attached ourselves to. If, if you're watching and you consider yourself as much a part of the Lone Viewpoint family as anyone else, but you've never become a member of the fellowship of our church, could I just encourage you that during this quarantine, while, while there's a little extra time on your hands, that you prayerfully consider addressing that? We took a class uh, just last night through a starting point class, and uh, we're... we're bringing new members into the fellowship of the church, even in the absence of the ability to assemble together this way. For some of you, perhaps God is opening your heart to believe and trust the gospel. For others, perhaps there's a burden to be faithful in believer's baptism. You've never followed through with that step of obedience. But for many of you watching, there, there may be the voice of God's Spirit speaking and exhorting and encouraging that you would formally attach yourself to the local body in church membership. If that's you in any of those categories, please do us the favor of reaching out 
uh, in the days ahead and even now in this very moment our pastors are standing by and awaiting a call or a text from you I, I want to lead us in just a brief uh, prayer of commitment and uh, and as well as praying that that God would honor and bless an opportunity that we'll have now to give back let's bow and pray father thank you thank you for the promise of the gospel held forth through the work of your spirit because of what Jesus has done for us thank you that Christ came to take away our sin thank you that Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil liberate us now God from the bondage of sin Free us from our hang-ups and our habits and those things that stand between us and a closer walk with you. Reveal for us, each of us, individually, God, what the days ahead ought to look like, how we might respond to your word this morning. God, as we have occasion to give back, I pray, Lord, that you would take these gifts entrusted to you, multiply them many times over, that the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. We ask these things in the authority of his name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Jason mentioned to you earlier in our announcement or welcome time um, the NAMO offering and a financial update that's in your inbox. I hope that you'll follow along with that. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for your continued generosity in giving. Please continue to give faithfully and as needs arise in your life and I'm speaking now specifically of financial needs I think we're probably only at the very beginning of that wave of financial needs that may be coming down the road as layoffs happen and uh, the, the consequences of these weeks being shut down uh, finally come home to roost for many of our families as those needs arise please know that we as a church body we as a church family want to help in that and, and love you through that and uh, do anything in this world that we can to help you to see the other side of that season. So, so again, reach out to us. If we're not aware of the need, we can't help you in meeting that need, but know that we do stand ready. And know that your gifts and your generosity give us the freedom as a body to be able to liberally meet those needs as they arise. I hope you have a great day in Jesus. I can't wait to see you back here under more normal circumstances. I love you. I miss you. I can't tell you how much I miss the interaction that we have during the preaching and teaching time. I've not gotten accustomed to this, and frankly, I refuse to get accustomed to this. But one day soon, Lord willing, we'll be back together again. But until we meet, God bless you. Be faithful to expand his kingdom, even now, across the street and around the world.